Sports, Politics, Life, Amini's Galleria presents Kevin Keatsman Has Issues, 105th and Metcalf, or online at aminis.com. It can't possibly be a word, but this week feels like the footballiest time of the year for me. <laughs> There's just bowl games all day long and all night long. On Tuesday night, the Kansas Jayhawks just went wild against UNLV in a 49-36 win where Jason Bean threw for 449 yards on just 19 completions and threw six touchdown passes. This was a wild one as bowl season is off and running. Stan Weber will be with us in just a few moments, and we'll look in the rearview mirror on KU's performance in their game and what it means for next year. We'll talk about the Chiefs and what is left for them after the debacle at Arrowhead on Sunday that were on Monday that we all witnessed on Christmas Day. Then we'll look forward to the Kansas State-NC State Bowl game on Thursday night and Missouri-Ohio State on Friday night. And, of course, the college football playoff coming up on Monday where Alabama plays Michigan and Washington plays Texas. So much to talk about with Stan Weber. It'll be great catching up with him. He's in Orlando for the K-State-NC State game, and he will have the call there of the Pop-Tart Bowl. So all things football here at KKHI on this episode, and it's going to be a blast. You couldn't help but notice how good the Kansas Jayhawks were on Tuesday night, with one exception, the penalties. And there will be a lot of complaining about the officiating and all the calls made in this game. 18 penalties against the Jayhawks for 216 yards. But every time they showed a replay, there was a penalty. So we're going to have a discussion today with Stan about what happens with teams, what type of game it is. I felt like this was kind of KU trying to impose their will on UNLV. Like, we will bully you around this field. We're the big bad boy here, and you're not, which is an awesome next step for the Kansas Jayhawks. You just really can't grab face masks as often as Kansas did in this game, but it didn't matter. Jason Bean was just spectacular, and it was so much fun to watch this contest. I was surprised in the second half that UNLV made a run and came back in this game. I thought they were put to bed by halftime, and there wouldn't be that sort of a run. But they did. They scored a couple of quick touchdowns in the third quarter, made it interesting before Kansas pulled away. And they win the guaranteed rate bowl, and they've set themselves up beautifully for next year. So many players returning at Kansas, and it's really fascinating to watch KU, K-State, Missouri, and how differently, okay, they're all winning. They're all good teams right now. They're very close to equal. All three programs are very close to the same right now, the closest I can ever remember. They're all very close to even and equal, and if they were playing each other, you know, each one could beat the other, I think. What's fascinating is to watch the different ways these teams are going about this. For Kansas, their formula is old school. It's get players in your program, bring them along, coach them up, teach them to play, and get better and keep the nucleus together. Kansas is not that active in the portal, but they haven't lost very many players in the portal. Far different than what we're seeing with the Missouri Tigers, bringing in all kinds of talent. Kansas State with a roster transformation, sending 20 players packing, essentially, and loading up on new stars to come play with Avery Johnson beginning next year. Not not a complete makeover, but we can certainly see it. It's fascinating to watch the different ways these teams are being put together. We'll talk with Stan about that. We'll also talk to him about the debacle that is the Chiefs offense and what it all means. I'm guessing Stan is going to tell us that nobody out there is really very good and everybody has an equal shot in the playoffs, I my personal belief for the Chiefs is they've just got to become the team that doesn't turn the ball over. And if they do that, they're going to win most games. They're not going to win them 38-30, to 30, but they can certainly win 20-16 to 16 if they just don't turn it over. And Patrick Mahomes, I think, is the biggest offender there. 
I, I just I just think this is a an important week of coaching. If they can reboot Patrick Mahomes and say, look, let's go out and play clean football on Sunday and not turn the ball over and we'll beat these guys. We will win if we don't just hand them the ball. That's reprogramming and reconditioning and completely against the way Andy Reid coaches. But I think the Chiefs must do that. We'll get Stan's thoughts on that. We'll also have a final final coming up in a few minutes. That is the best sports betting story of the year. A man won nearly a half million dollars on a $5 bet. We'll tell you how he did it. The Football Feast is brought to you today by Buck Disposal, online at buckdisposal.com. If you're tired of dealing with call centers in Chicago and you need it dumped now, dump the big corporation and go with the local guy. Ron Buck can service your company or your personal needs with disposals at your job site, even on the weekends. Great personal customer service from a local company. 913-242-7695, online at buckdisposal.com. The Bluemont Hotel in Manhattan is your conference destination. More and more businesses are adding Manhattan to their conference destination with the NBAP facility there, related industry revving up, agriculture relocation, university upgrades, world-class golf, Aggieville redevelopment. There's a lot going on in Manhattan right now. And the Bluemont Hotel would love to host you and your company. If you'd like to make a great retreat sometime this spring with all of your employees or your clients, contact the Bluemont Hotel. The group reservations are online at bluemonthotel.com. And don't forget Goolsby's Indoor Entertainment Center and Restaurant right there at the Bluemont Hotel in Manhattan. And our friend John and his team at Window World, Simply the Best for Less, online at windowskansascity.com. This is a simple call. They come to your house. They look at your window issue, whether it's one window or all your windows. And they can help you solve your problem with the best windows, lifetime warranties made in America at the lowest price. 816-799-0820 for Window World, the official windows of the Kansas City Chiefs. WindowsKansasCity.com. Simply the best for less. It's the football feast and Stan Weber is here. We got so much to discuss, including the Jayhawks' big win over UNLV in the bowl game on Tuesday night. Hit it! The Kevin Keatsman Has Issues conversation is brought to you by Cross Kitchens, Kansas City's home remodeler, online at crosskitchenskc.com. All right, we say hello to Stan with a football feast, and we got a lot to talk about here in the midst of bowl season and the Chiefs debacle. Hello, Stan. Welcome from Florida. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Uh, great holiday season to everybody, I hope, Kevin, and good to talk to you again. Let's start with the Kansas Jayhawks on Tuesday night. A tremendous performance by Jason Bean. 449 yards passing on just 19 completions. Six touchdowns. Three of them go to Luke Grimm, who had four catches for a buck 60. Kansas was clearly the better team, but my goodness, they were all over the place committing penalties. That was one hard game to watch, despite the fact that there were a lot of beautiful touchdown plays. Yeah, it was wild and crazy. I give UNLV a lot of credit. Barry Odom, I'm sure, talked to his team a lot and said, I know a little bit about Kansas, and I'm from Missouri, and try to teach his guys about the rivalry. And usually that works, Kevin. Uh, the players normally take on the coach's focus and want to play for him. I thought UNLV came out really fast and playing well and fought the whole way through because they were finished a couple of times and just kept fighting back. Now, the penalties helped, obviously. It was a wild and crazy game, but uh, the Jayhawks ended up doing so many good things. And Chiefs fans will – probably understand exactly what I'm saying when I say the one thing that Kansas's receivers have done all year is make contested catches. 
Uh, they have been as good as anybody I've seen, Kevin, going into KUK State when I studied them so intently. I just said, wow, these receivers, when they go up, it's one-on-one, sometimes one-on-two. They usually yank the ball in. And you saw that in spades in the game. And Jason Bean is willing to throw on the run, throw the ball deep, and throw the ball where it is a one-on-one situation. And his guys went and won the battles again. Just incredible. And in this day and age where you see Patrick Mahomes in the NFL average 8.7 yards per completion in a game, and he's hovering with very low numbers all the time, you see KU 449 yards on only 19 completions. I mean, way over 20 yards per completion, six touchdowns. And those guys went and get up and got it. Lawrence Arnold, Luke Grimm, uh, Quentin Skinner. Those guys are really good receivers. And Devin Neal is a very good running back. Oh, Daniel Highshaw is not bad. So the good news is Kansas's offense lit it up like they've done all year long. And they did it without their normal offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki. Kotelnicki has uh, moved on to Penn State, but it looks like at least the carryover from this year's season, Jim Zombrowski made some very good calls, and Kansas lit up the scoreboard. So that's what they do. Congratulations. It's nice to win bowl games, and having a nine-win season is very good for KU. All right, catching so many 50-50 passes going up high, and I think this is relevant for Chiefs fans that are listening as well. Walk me through that. How do you practice that? How does Kansas become good at that? Obviously, the receivers are talented, but how do you become really, really good at that? I, I don't know that I've ever seen that practiced a lot. How do receivers become great at going up and catching the contested passes? Well, there's always a mentality of thought and those type of things that can add to the depth of a veteran player, a college player, a pro player. So I'm not going to say you can't improve at it, but generally it's more natural. Uh, maybe your coaches can emphasize that it's something that we expect. You start with this, Kevin. You start in the backwards mode. You say, hey, guys, if you want balls to be thrown to you deep, for big plays and opportunities where it's just one-on-one, you've got to let the quarterback know you're not going to allow any interceptions. Okay, so I think you actually take a mentality. For instance, if I'm teaching basketball and you're saying we, we want to play defense, but I say, hey, we don't have seven fouls. They can't be one-and-one. One. Dig in there deep and get the ball. I mean, go for the steal. Don't foul the guy. But, I mean, physically go for the steal, and if the official doesn't call it, then you can take the ball away when he doesn't expect it and actually be very physical. We don't normally teach that, but let's dig in there. That mentality, I think, is how you teach it with receivers. You say, you go after this ball, and I don't care what you do. If you have to throw the guy on the ground, tackle him. But generally, the best thing is two hands, jump to the highest point, and attack the football. Just make sure that defender doesn't end up with the ball. And suddenly, you've given yourself the best chance to go up and get the ball yourself. Now, still, it's more natural than it is taught. So I'm not going to bash any coach who doesn't have guys who can do it. You've got to draft those guys. Uh, you've got to play those guys. You know, you might look at a Luke Grimm for Kansas and not pick him out as the first guy you're going to have running around at wide receiver uh, for you until you realize, wait a second, this guy goes and grabs the ball, pulls it down from everybody else. So it's just it's an attribute Kansas has. It's a fact. And it allows the quarterback to play a little wild and crazy. I mean, he threw three interceptions, right? Jason Bean threw three interceptions, Kevin. But you can't have one thing without the other. All Life is like that. You have trade-offs. And he's going to put the ball in scary places, and that's why he had six touchdowns. That's why he threw for so many yards. He's going to have some interceptions. You can't tell him to just go protect the ball all game and make plays. You tell the receivers, uh, this is your chance. Go get the ball. Make sure the defender doesn't get it, and good things can happen. So I, I just think that they've either identified the right guys 
or uh, a little bit of mentality, but it's more just a, a refinement, a refinement in the mentality I talked to you about right there, how I would right. teach a basketball player. I think that can happen, but generally it's just these guys know how to do it. There's a lot of talk about, especially on the broadcast last night, Kansas competing for the Big 12 title next year, returning so many players on the offensive side of the ball. Kansas is a little bit old school here, Stan. They're not very active in the portal in bringing players in, but they haven't lost anybody to the portal. They, they clearly believe in recruiting young players, developing them, and keeping them as their nucleus. The only question I have for Kansas next year is the quarterback position because Jalen Daniels, to this point, has not proven he can play a whole season healthy, and we don't know at this point who the backup would be. Is the quarterback position a question mark next year, even though they believe that is their most talented player at that position? Yeah, question mark is one way of saying it. I don't have a problem with that because of his injury situation the last two years, especially this year, and a back. But I would say it's a variable. Uh, that's a, a, a simpler way for me to say it because that doesn't mean it's positive or negative. He may be the best quarterback in the Big 12 next year. He was preseason all Big 12 player of the year on the offensive side going into the season, and basically Jalen Daniels is a non-factor uh, this year. So what is he going to be? I mean, if he comes back and stays healthy, and after watching a year, you get a greater appreciation for how the game's played. You think like a coach more. You see the game differently. And when you see Jason Bean light it up the way he did, pretty much all year, he played at a high level, helped them get to nine wins, six conference wins, and do the things. There's a little pressure, a little urgency for Jalen Daniels to step it on up and show that he can even play to the level of Jason Bean right now. And I think that's a good mentality. But, yeah, you don't know, will they be able to go to Cole Ballard and have him develop and be better. He's just not as explosive as Jason Bean, the fastest player on the team, Jalen Daniels with everything that he does. So, yeah, question mark or variable in the Kansas team, but around him, they really got some great pieces. Uh, Devin Neal is a big-time running back. Daniel Hyshaw is really good as well, and uh, that it doesn't end there. Dylan McDuffie's a good player. They'll find tight ends that can get it done at all times. Their offensive line is now big and strong very active in what they do. It'll be interesting to see what they do with a new offensive coordinator, Kevin. You can't take for granted how well the plays were designed by Andy Kodonicki. So I, that is one of the variables. How does the quarterback play? What does the offense look like with a new coordinator? But still, a very good position. And every team like Kansas should think about taking that next step and thinking about winning a Big 12 championship. It's really there. We've sat here with all these years. You and I are such good friends of, of Todd and, and when we think about Lebo, you think, yeah, you got to start with OU. And it's going to be a big hurdle to get over Oklahoma every year because they're winning Big 12 championships. Since we turned to the years 2000, uh, it's just been OU, OU, OU. And Texas has always hoped to be there, but it's been Oklahoma. They're not in the conference anymore. And if Texas has put it together this year under Steve Sarkeesian, they're not there either. So it really is an open run for a lot of schools, starting with Utah and Arizona, thinking they're going to be good enough. And, all the way out to UCF thinking they know how to win. And then obviously K-State and Oklahoma State uh, right here in the middle in Kansas can say, why not us winning the Big 12 championship next year? It's going to be a heck of a race. The only thing that's disappointing it's, is they don't play each other enough. No, I mean, I when you have 16 teams, yeah. how do you really have a champion? It's going to be a little weird. Uh, it's, sometimes it's too much schedule-driven for me, Kevin, when the conference gets that big and you don't have divisions or quads, you know, yeah. four-team pods, you and I know. That, that's what we that, believe in. That's right. Which turn into that's a discussion for, for a different day. But, yeah, yeah they, need four, another day, they yeah. need four divisions. There's no question about it. They need four divisions. Let's, and talk, you... about one thing. Let's talk about one thing, Kevin, with uh, KU before we go because it was a penalized group. Uh, and I think that Kansas fans 
obviously you're going to say, you know, everything should be equal. The number of fouls should be about equal at the end of the game. Or if it's basketball or, you know, KU had plenty of penalties and it was their penalties. And it was not a great look that Lance Leipold was mad at the officials. He started being mad at his players, which is where he should have been. And then by halftime, he was mad at the officials thinking that they weren't making the calls right. And I think that distracted his football team a little bit. They started getting up after tackles. Did you see him in the second half early looking and saying, hey, didn't wasn't that a penalty? Didn't he hit me too hard? Didn't he grab my face mask? I thought that sent a bad message. But overall, I don't want to go down that path and make it sound negative, Kevin. The big thing for me going into this game for KU was how do you play as the favorites? Okay, KU fans should have come home from the bowl game or after the game watching it on TV. They should come away not thinking about being the old KU of four years ago with less miles. I can't believe you know, we can win seven games and go to a bowl game. I can't believe this. No, you should think you're a great, great football team and expect to win and go out and think about winning a Big 12 championship. That's what Lance Leifold wants. He got mad this year. But when you're trying to develop and be the favorite, Kevin, it's really hard. It's, it's easier to be the underdog and be patting yourself on the back when you have success and a little bit of negativity doesn't pull you down. That's a lot harder than staying up there at the top of the pack and thinking you're favorite and you're going to go win. One of the ways you react to do that, Kevin, one of the ways you do that is you overemphasize and try to punk teams. Okay? I think the perfect word is punk teams. And that's what I think KU tried to do to UNLV. I think they went out. Those penalties were all on KU, and I don't think the players cared. They went too far. It was dumb to get over 200 yards of penalties and let UNLV stay in the game. So from a strategist, I'll get it, Kevin. We can stand back and talk about how dumb it is for them to have those penalties. But that is part of the developmental stage. When you when you grow into a team where you're the favorite, one of the first reactions is kind of like a child acting up a little bit. The way you do it is you go too far and you try to make it physical and punk the other players on the other team and say, you can't compete with us. We're better than you. We're more physical than you. And I thought we could saw that. I thought we saw the KU players think that that was their mission. They'll understand better in the future, Kevin. You can't do that. You still can have discipline and po- purpose and focus. But that's one of the stages. Yeah, I've those, seen it before. Yeah, those, Teams develop. Does that make sense? Yeah, they, against a better those opponent. Players, it, 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 they do that against a better opponent. They'd have lost that game last night. In fact, Kansas probably should have won the game 52-10, to 10, to be honest. But the penalties just changed the entire ball game and, and made it a game. But Kansas clearly the better football team, and they look like they are – going to be a bit of a force going forward. Now, you're in Orlando for the Pop-Tarts Bowl, Kansas State, North Carolina State. K-State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, and I'm trying to figure out how. They've had about 20 players leave the program or get booted out, depending on how you want to look at it, because I know there were players that Chris Kleiman didn't want hanging around, and they're gone from the program, and there's a quarterback change. Avery Johnson gets his first start as a college quarterback. I don't know what to make of this bowl game. This is where bowls get weird because this isn't Kansas State. This is really the first game of next year, isn't it? In some ways, just because the quarterback position is such an important part of a team, right? And then Will Howard was such a dominant factor in how K-State played. Uh, K-State went from being a run, run, run football team uh, and passing you know, when, when they need to and enough, uh, bringing enough balance in our offense, but still a running team. Do you realize that with Will Howard at quarterback and knowing what kind of quarterback he was, more of a passing quarterback than a runner, Kevin. The K-State passed the ball as a percentage of their plays more than any time since 2014 and with Tyler Lockett uh, and Jake Waters throwing the ball around the yard. So, And, and one of the all-time highest since K-State's been a good football team. You know, it's in the top uh, 
two or three years ever in throwing the football. And that was a Will Howardism. You know, he could audibleize. He knew that so much about football, could read the defense, had an aggressive mentality, those kind of things. So now you start all over and you say, well, what do we have with Avery Johnson? And most people say, well, you know, he's, he's super fast, like Jason Bean, probably the fastest player on the team. He's a highly recruited kid who comes in from the state of Kansas, hyped as much as you possibly can be, and then he steps in and deserves every bit of it, Kevin. I cannot report any higher grades on the things that I think that matter about a player when they're away from home, when they're on campus, when they're in college with a real football team against real competition. Avery Johnson is checking every box of being able to be a superstar. That's the good news, and that's probably where the confidence lies. He's played seven games. He's been in there a little bit, but he hasn't thrown one interception and had to react to that. Remember Jason Bean last night threw interceptions, and how do they handle that? You know, they eased him back into it, but then he went back throwing touchdown passes again. You can't stop playing. So that'll be the big question. How will Avery Johnson handle the ups and the downs, the physicality of the game, and having responsibility for being the quarterback all the time leading up to the game, which is kind of crazy and different, and then throughout the game? So most K-State fans are excited. The K-State players are very calm, Kevin. Uh, they really believe in Avery, and he's been around long enough that they think, here we go, it's a continuation of 2023. So that helps, right? The mentality of the team isn't, oh, this is a showcase to see what we're going to be like next year. They really believe in Avery Johnson enough. But you got to think about Colin Klein's not the offensive coordinator, just like Kansas. He's not going to be there calling the play. So there is some transition that brings all kinds of questions. Uh, there are some guys who are opting out. When you think of Ben Sennett and uh, Phillip Brooks, your two leading receivers, are not going to play in this game. And North Carolina State, uh, they're the type of team that has a number of players also, mostly backups. Uh, most of the guys who left for these two teams are guys who would be coming in to give the other guys a break. So the backups really aren't there. You kind of go from first string to third string in a lot of ways. But obviously, K-State's quarterback is worth noting, Kevin. That's pretty easy. But also, the best linebacker in the country and maybe the best defensive player in the country who won the Buckus Award, the Bednarik Award, was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year and first-team All-American Peyton Wilson for North Carolina State, appears that he's not going to play. It appears he's going to get ready for the NFL. And so it's kind of a trade-off right there. The best defensive player maybe in the country and the best uh, and K-State starting quarterback trading off, maybe they'll settle back into what they were. But it's an intriguing game uh, because these two teams really have great capabilities. K-State's record, when you look at it, 8-4, and four, you can never sneeze in an 8-4 and four record. You saw how good Kansas was, and K-State beat them for the 15th straight time, the 8th straight time in Lawrence. They're 11 points down and fought back and won. Those are positives, but 8-4 and four is the worst record K-State could have, right, Kevin? You, you go back and replay the season, you go, well, why isn't it 10-2? and two? I mean, those close games they lost, they could have easily gone their way. So K-State has that potential. And North Carolina State, just because we don't know much about them, just because we don't think of them as big ACC powers because Clemson's been dominating for so long. And then Mac Brown goes to North Carolina and that big main name. And you think about May, the quarterback for North Carolina is going to be one of the top quarterbacks taken, Kevin. That overwhelms what the facts are. North Carolina State beat Clemson. North Carolina State whipped North Carolina in the last game, Kevin. 39-20 to and that, it, the game wasn't that close. When you go back and watch, North Carolina State killed North Carolina. They're on a five-game winning streak. They've beaten Clemson, Miami, at Wake Forest, at Virginia Tech, and they beat North Carolina. Does the continuation of the momentum continue with this break? I don't know, but North Carolina State is a really good team. 
Their only losses were to Notre Dame, Louisville, and Duke. And they're coached by Dave Dorn in his 11th year, who, by the way, Kevin, you're a Shawnee Mission North Indian High School grad, and Dave Dorn is a Bishop Mie Stag grad. So he has his ties right back there in Kansas City. He's done a great job of coaching. They kind of run under the radar screen. North Carolina State does not ring your bell as, oh, this is big-time football. Everyone's saying, I wish we had to play Clemson. Well, these guys beat Clemson, and they were better this year with a 6-2 and two conference record. So North Carolina State is really a good opponent. They're a ranked opponent. If K-State wins this game, Kevin, it'll be the second-highest-ranked team K-State has ever beaten in a bowl game. So this has big potential for K-State, but it also has big concern. If you're thinking K-State's going to go in, they're the bigger name, and take care of North Carolina State, be careful. These, these players in North Carolina State are really good, and here's the thing to watch for more than anything else. They have a superstar guy. Well, I shouldn't say it. I'll get to that in a second. They have a, their offense isn't great, but they have a quarterback, Kevin, and Brennan Armstrong, who transferred for, from Virginia. He was a starter at Virginia. He's a left-hander, and he led the team in rushing. Okay, so he's a veteran who knows how to win, and he can run, and he's coached by first-year offensive coordinator Robert Anai, who was at Virginia. He recruited Brennan Armstrong. So there's some connectivity there with the offensive coordinator and quarterback. They have a freshman superstar, number 10. Watch for him. Casey Concepcion, they try to get him the ball in the Wildcat, the jet sweeps, the little shovel passes, deep throws. He is the superstar go-make-a-play guy, ACC Rookie of the Year. Other than that, their offense isn't great. But don't let 10 beat you. But here's the big thing that scares me about the game. Six years ago, <clears throat> I was telling you, Kevin, about different games around the, in the Big 12. And when K-State got to West Virginia, I said to you, oh, this guy's the best defensive coordinator in the league. His name, Tony Gibson. Tony Gibson was the defensive coordinator at West Virginia, and, man, he was good. It was so hard to crack the code that he was laying out there. He has been, since he left West Virginia the last five years, he's been the defensive coordinator at North Carolina State. And last year, it was incredible. No team scored 30 points against them for the whole year. And this year, they have been very good on defense, and he is very good. So K-State's offense with a new quarterback, a new play caller, against this very strong North Carolina State defense and a great defensive coordinator. That's going to be the battle. Don't turn it over. Find a way to make some plays against them, and it will not be easy. This yeah, will be a tough, tough game for K-State offensively against their defense. I think the stat I saw is the last eight weeks of the season, North Carolina State had the number five defense in America, which is strong. That's in the ACC, but that's uh, that's really strong. The Missouri Tigers on Friday night get Ohio State. Ohio State's had a bunch of players transfer out, but – Iowa State always has players up and down the roster. Mizzou looking at big things. They love their schedule. Missouri fans are almost looking past this bowl game so excited for next year because the schedule came out and it's the easiest in the SEC, and they're bringing pretty much everybody back, and, the, and Tiger fans are just ecstatic over where they are. And bowl games, we can say they're meaningless, but they're not always meaningless. This would really be a nice next step for Missouri to beat a program like Ohio State and then take that into the offseason can the Tigers beat the Buckeyes? Yeah, the Tigers can because all of the things that they're excited about are real. Uh, that's what's really cool is that quarterback play is high. Explosiveness factor, unbelievably good with Missouri. Uh, obviously, when, you, when, you, when you're running around out there with one of the best offensive players in the country, Luther Burton the third, you know that. But Theo Weiss, Mookie Cooper, 
Makai Miller, all these guys, man, they're making plays on regular routes. So Missouri has everything you want in a passing tree. They have explosiveness. Their offensive line's coming off the ball. The quarterback, Brady Cook's playing at a high level without turning over the football. We talked about Jason Bean being uh, wild and crazy and effective, but also giving you some turnovers here and there from a Kansas perspective. Brady Cook doesn't turn over the football and can run the football at a high level. So, And Missouri's defense is just solid. They don't rely on one guy, Kevin. They're pretty good from back to front. And so, yeah, there's just plenty of reasons to love what Missouri is doing right now, getting over the hump. But winning a bowl game is part of that development as well. You do not want to take all the momentum you have and dump a bowl game. Uh, this is this is magical where they are. And like I said with the Big 12, one of the things I don't like with what colleges are doing in realignment, stacking their conferences with big numbers, and then going away from divisions or pods, Kevin, is things get schedule-driven. And if you're a Missouri fan, man, why wouldn't you be excited about that schedule next year? I mean, it doesn't feel like a normal SEC schedule, does it? It feels like, whoa, Missouri can make this through. And the way they have the non-con set up, I'm telling you, you can't get too far ahead of yourself, but why wouldn't you think Missouri is going to win 10 games next yeah, year? Yeah, I, I think most people will predict coming into the season that Missouri will be part of the playoff. I think most national publications and writers and whatnot will predict that Missouri's part of this thing next year. And if that is the case, they need to learn that next step. Okay, for KU, it was to go out and be the favorite, the prohibitive favorite, and go out and live with that and then produce on the field. And they, they, they had to go through development against UNLV, right? I mean, I, I talked about that early. Missouri also needs to get to the development. And the development is, Kevin, where you walk out against teams that look like playoff opponents, have coaches who stand over there with confidence, who have players who look big and strong and are four-star and think they're ready for the pros and don't even respect you, and have helmets that look like Ohio State's, Michigan. Oh, you can say, we do that against Georgia all the time. No, you get used to playing Georgia. Kevin, when you play in a division, we talk about division games in the NFL, don't intimidate anybody because they're so used to playing them. Missouri's not intimidated by Georgia. They're just another opponent. Now, if you have Alabama walk into Mizzou, you suddenly look like, whoa, when they come out of the locker room, they walk with swagger. Well, this is what Ohio State's going to do, Kevin. And all this talk about people wanting to redefine what this bowl means to Missouri and act like it doesn't matter. You know, you're saying, oh, well, this isn't the real Ohio State. The quarterback's left and, uh, you know, a number of transfers. And they don't care. If they're not in the playoff, they don't care, Kevin. All of that talk. Don't let that happen. Missouri fans, it's totally unfair. We shouldn't be doing that. You are playing Ohio State, Kevin. And when you're playing Ohio State and you happen to play against backups, you know what you're doing? You're playing against future NFL stars. You just don't know their names yet. Okay? Marvin Harrison Jr., whose dad was a great Indianapolis Colt, is obviously the best receiver in the country. He's not going to play for Ohio State. I get it. But behind him, there are probably two more NFL starters that you just don't know their name. And you know what they are? Excited to play, Kevin. They're waiting for their opportunity. They're fresh. They love this. So I don't buy into the, oh, this isn't the real Ohio State, or they don't care. Because I'll give you a quick story. The best player I ever played against was a dominant Nebraska team. Back when Nebraska was basically number one, two, or three in the country, I went to Lincoln, Nebraska, and played against Nebraska. Played free safety my freshman year, Kevin. I started in this game in Lincoln. At the end of the ball game, I'm sitting there, and the reporters all come in, and it's a funny joke back then because Oklahoma versus Nebraska was for a national championship, right, big eight championship. They'd come in. They wouldn't ask about the game at all. They would just say, who's better, Oklahoma or Nebraska? You played them both in the last three weeks. Who's better? But one question that came up was like, who really, who really uh, caught your eye? I go, 
oh, I just played against the greatest player I've ever seen. His name's Roger Craig. Roger Craig, a superstar NFL guy with Joe Montana, winning Super Bowls of the San Francisco 49ers. Kevin, you, you're not surprised that I said Roger Craig is the greatest player I ever played against at that point. That wouldn't surprise you. What will surprise you is he was the third team running back at Nebraska. Okay? <laughs> right. That's, you catch my theme here? Yeah, for sure. He was the – because – the first stringers came out and laid around and got ahead of us, you know, 28 to nothing or whatever. They beat the hell out of us, okay? But then the backups came in, Kevin, and they were sprinting and running and playing like it was the Super Bowl. I think Derrick Henry they did were that too. So hard. Didn't Derrick Henry bust out in a bowl game as a freshman running back in college? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. wait, who's this guy? Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it can happen. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't buy I don't buy this. I, I, maybe after the game I'll go, okay, Ohio State didn't try. You know, the coach didn't have – he has no pressure to win. This dude's under so much pressure, he might get fired because he lost to Michigan a couple years in a row, okay? They want to win this game from a coaching staff inside out. That football team wants to win, and the players are just fine. They just may be inexperienced, but they actually may be better than the guys that they're replacing. Yes, they may be better. That's the way it works. So, yeah, this is a big-time game. I think you need to get used to running out on the field and saying – Oh, this is a big game against a neutral opponent that has all the swag in the world. If you want to play in the playoff and be successful, Kevin, get used to playing the Michigans right. of the world and Ohio State. So I think this game's big in the development for Missouri. Okay, I want to leave plenty of time for the Chiefs here. So just a little Cliff's Notes version or, or thumbnail sketch here on the college football playoff. We got Alabama and Michigan, Washington and Texas playing on Monday in the college football playoff. Is there anything that really catches your eye here? Because it just looks to me like a couple of games that really any two teams could win. I don't, I don't, personally, I just don't think there is a dominant favorite. Is there a dominant favorite for you? Is there a team here that if they lost on Monday, you'd be surprised? Uh, definitely the competition level is high for all four teams. And they uh, have been, you know, Washington would be the one you would not respect the most and you worry about, except for they went through the best conference in the country this year and they had to beat Oregon twice. And so I think they've been through some fire, and they're ready to roll. I'll give you a quick thumbnail sketch on this. Games could go either way, but here's how I would pick them, Kevin. I think last year I, on the record, said TCU would beat Michigan, okay? And the reason why I said it is I don't think Michigan has played against the best competition in the Big Ten, and I think you go back this year, and the Big Ten was not very good at all. We don't know how good Michigan is, and they didn't whip these teams that they played. So I like where Harbaugh's going. I think they're catching on and being a better team but I don't think that they're to the level of the SEC teams. I think the Big Ten's kind of still giving us fake news. So I think Alabama's the real deal. I think that they know how to go win championships. So I got Alabama over Michigan, mostly because Michigan just isn't used to playing against that level of competition every day. And I think Nick Saban's going to be a hard out when Alabama's in that, in that mode. And on the other side, I can give you a lot of reasons why Texas could beat people, but I think this is a matchup deal. Texas will not let you run the ball. Their guys up front will stuff the run. You are dead on third down and fourth down and one. You cannot establish the run against them. The only way you can beat them is throw the ball. Well, guess what Washington wants to do? Throw the ball more than anybody in the country. Throw the ball downfield more than anybody in the country. And they, Texas, does not pass rush well. They got big sloggers who push the pile back toward the quarterback, but they don't get there in time. This is a matchup issue only. Washington over Texas. Because you beat Texas in the passing game, and Washington can do that. I got Washington beating Texas. 
All right, on to the pros, and it is presented by Roberts Robinson Chevrolet GMC in Excelsior Springs, home of the lifetime warranty, online at robertsrobinson.com. Proud sponsor of Stan Weber's appearance here on the Football Feast at KKHI. T.J. Vilkanskis and his team at Back 9 Development would love to build for you. They are Kansas City's custom builder. If you'd like a consultation with T.J. about your dream project, just give him a call at 785-236-0161. That is back9development.com. And advanced medical imaging, see what's inside. If you need an MRI or a CT scan, why wait a month? Treat yourself like a football player and get right in with advanced medical imaging. Call today for your appointment today or tomorrow. 785-856-0224, online at medimageks.com. Okay, Stan, the Kansas City Chiefs, the sky is falling in. It is ugly. I've got my own thoughts on this. I think Patrick Mahomes is easily playing his worst football that he has in Kansas City. I think he is a huge part of the problem. There are lots of problems, but I think Mahomes is part of it. The good news is everybody stinks. The Eagles look bad and somehow won. The 49ers were dreadful. I mean, nobody's really afraid of the Ravens. We're talking Lamar for MVP, but his stats really aren't as good as Baker Mayfield's numbers. And we're going to give this guy the MVP. I, I don't know what to make of the NFL. I just know this. On any given Sunday, every one of these good teams stinks something terrible. And it is everywhere, including Kansas City. Your thoughts? Uh, the NFL parody is something that they dream about since Pete Rozelle brought that word to us, and they've got it more than ever. Uh, I, I started with a theme this last month as the Chiefs have faltered. Okay, they would have lost to New England if it was anybody but New England. Okay, so they would have had four straight losses right now, Kevin. So yeah, the disaster's on the table right now. Losing five of their eight games, the Chiefs. All those things are true. This year's champion is likely to be the worst team since the 2015 Denver Broncos won when, when Manning wasn't even a starting quarterback about the time the playoffs started, and he could barely raise his arm and throw. Remember when they beat Carolina in that game? Uh, that, that Denver team was not that good. But other than that, these teams are not even close to what normal Super Bowl-level teams are. So the Chiefs have been given a free pass. Uh, this year it should be an easy, we're going to get beat in the playoffs, maybe we can fight and win a game before we lose the next game. But the Chiefs are what they are. We're deep in the season right now. You can't fix stuff. You can't get new players. You can't redevelop yourself. You are what you are, and the Chiefs are not very good. The defense is good, but not great. The offense does not scare anybody uh, in the running game. Pacheco doesn't scare opponents. They want him to run. In the passing game, Kelsey's not as quick and, and as good. Hey, he's been dropping passes. When are people going to start saying he's dropping passes, Kevin? Because he dropped a touchdown in New England. He didn't try to catch one and flop. Your soccer flop you talked about. He dropped the game, ball early in the game this week against the Raiders. So the Chiefs offense is not scaring anybody. And therefore, they don't look that good. But compared to everybody else in the league, they're still in the mix, man. They still have a chance. All you got to do is win one of their last two games. They're favored in both. One of them at home against Cincinnati. Win one of those games, you win a division championship. And you're at least the number three seed. And there's a good chance you become the number two seed, which means you could get two home playoff games. And Baltimore is the best team in the AFC, but they're not reliable. They're never reliable. On any game I turn on every Sunday, they can be playing a bad team. The game's going to be close down at the end, Kevin. They put on a show in San Francisco, but that's the best of the Ravens. It's unlikely that they're going to be a team that can win, 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 well, and get into the Super Bowl. Yeah, look, so I, it's wide open. And I describe the Ravens as, you know, eventually Lamar is going to be Lamar. And this is harsh on Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes this year reminds me of Lamar Jackson. You get more bad than good. The good plays can still be there. You see the talent.
but the turnovers are just unacceptable. I mean, Mahomes is literally losing games. He lost that game Sunday, Stan. He fumbled one for a touchdown. He threw a pick six, which was what the worst throw I've ever seen him make here. His feet were off the ground. It was completely off balance. He read it too quick. He had Justin Ross wide open down the slot. It would have been a touchdown, except he just got the ball and threw it with no pressure. He had all day to look around the field and didn't look around the field. Just threw it out there in the flat for a pick six. He's a huge part of the problem. And, you know, I watched Lamar Jackson play a great game on Sunday night, but eventually Lamar is going to be Lamar. And the bottom line is this. Lamar Jackson, people are talking MVP. He's got a 96 quarterback rating. Baker Mayfield has nine more touchdown passes and 400 more yards passing this year. Baker Mayfield, the Lamar Jackson. And we're talking Lamar Jackson for MVP. There is no MVP in this league. They should shelve the award this year. Nobody gets it. We'll decide it after the Super Bowl. Yeah, maybe the Super Bowl MVP is the MVP of the league. <clears throat> yeah, you said all those things well. Um, Patrick Mahomes, if you want to say that you're being a little bit harsh in this situation about this specific game, I'm not talking about overall. In this game, I thought the first drive of the game where he tried to throw the ball while he was being grabbed by two guys, fumbled the ball, and it happened to fall to him, that should have been a scoop and score for the Raiders. If you would have stopped the tape and seen him falling down with two guys on him and the ball up in the air about three feet above him, there's no way the ball should have bounced right back to him. And he also threw a ball along the sideline that should have been picked, they're, that they reversed. They're instead. literally so, the team that most weeks, all you got to do is not turn it over and you're going to win. Like, that's all they had to do. Blaine Gabbert could have been out there the entire game and not turned it over and the Chiefs would have won that game. And nobody's telling this to Patrick Mahomes or coaching it into him. Like, your job today, Patrick, is very simple. Don't turn it over. That's the job. You're at home. Your defense plays well. The Raiders aren't going to move the ball. Same thing against the Patriots last week. Just don't turn it over. And he comes out every game and starts with turnovers. He's the problem. He is a huge problem, Stan. Can nobody get through to him to stop turning it over? Well, I think that maybe they did something at this game and that the reaction of Patrick Mahomes is completely different after the ball game. He wasn't mad. He wasn't like, oh, we're better than this. We'll get back to being ourselves. He just kind of said, we got two games and we got to just get back to work. I think it broke him finally. He's gone through a cycle of frustration. I've been calling this out for more than a month, that he's doing too much. His running is outrageous, how often he's pulled the rabbit out of the hat for the Chiefs running the football. And again, every time they ran the ball well against the Raiders, it was him running the football when other players would be sacked for seven-yard losses. He gains eight yards. He gains first downs. But, but in the pocket against the Raiders, he wasn't looking to throw. He was starting to drop back and getting ready to run. He was distracted. And the quarterbacks have got to stay in the pocket and throw the football, move once in a while. But he's had to run so much. The receivers don't get open. They drop the ball. They don't run the right route. He is so frustrated that he blew up at the officials. You remember that? He got a $50,000 fine. And now after this game, he wasn't mad at all. He's like understanding and, and accepting we're not the Chiefs anymore. We're not the fancy Chiefs. And this may be the best news in the world, Kevin, because you can still go win the Super Bowl by saying, hey, we got a great punter. Tommy, How about Tommy Townsend's pass? Whoa. But Tommy Townsend had one bad punt in the game against the Raiders. But normally he can turn a field 60 yards. So you're right. I just think the Chiefs might take on a new mentality. Don't play like the favorites. Don't play like the team that scares others. And at any moment, the Chiefs are going to score 30 points. Every time the game unfolds, there's a moment there where I go, okay, here we go. Chiefs are going to be the Chiefs. And they aren't. They're a team fighting to get over 20 points, Kevin. But you can still win in the NFL. Their defense is good enough. Their special teams are really good. How about Bucker bombing from 50-yard field goals, Kevin? 
The Miami Dolphins beat the Dallas Cowboys the other day by kicking five field goals, most of them bombs. Okay? So I agree with you, but I think they might actually take on that mentality. Andy Reid hadn't had to do that. His offense has been elite. They attack. They dictate. But I think Patrick Mahomes finally accepted we're not that good, and I can't win the game by myself. This isn't basketball where Michael Jordan can score 50 instead of 25, right? You can do that in basketball. In football, you can't do it. That's why football is the greatest game. Even though the quarterback is the most important position, you cannot win the game yourself. And his frustration level has been off the charts. He's been trying to do it. I think he's done it. A lot of the mistakes he's made, Kevin, are because he's been forced to do everything for this team. But now, if they're going to win, I think they do what you say. Just go into the game against Cincinnati, and don't tell me why Joe Burrow is not here, and therefore the Chiefs are going to win. No, go in and think Cincinnati's probably going to beat you. I mean, you've lost almost everybody recently. Why wouldn't Cincinnati's defense come right. in and emulate what the Raiders right. do? Go right. in, take on the mentality. When you walk into Arrowhead, don't walk in cocky and expect the Chiefs to be great. Go in and say, hey, even game, let's see what we can do. Play a defensive battle. Win 17-13, to 13, Kevin. Get the heck out of there. Do it the next week. They have a formula, a humble formula, basically as you talked about, that they can still be the best team in the NFL. Yeah. And they may, by doing that, Kevin, they may pop and turn into themselves at some point and have a really good game. But as of right now, I think maybe they've gone to a deep enough hole where they may just re- reestablish themselves as a more conservative team. Well, they still can win this thing, yeah. as crazy as it is, and, just because the rest of the NFL is not that good. And Andy had a blunder in the game on Sunday, too, not onside kicking at the end of the game. I'll never understand these coaches. It does. It really does not matter if you're going to give up a first down at the end of the game. Like you got to stop them no matter what. The Raiders. They had to stop the Raiders. No first down at the end of the game to get the ball back and have a chance to win. Does it matter if you stop them at the Raiders' 25 yard line or midfield? Why wouldn't you try the onside kick? I've never understood this. The Raiders were never going to score again, no matter what. If they got a first down, they were just going to slide. What does it matter what part of the field you do that? You got to at least try to get the onside kick. It may not work but you've got to try and I don't think Andy's thinking clearly on some of this stuff either so it's a it's a different go I want to ask you about one more thing here before we let you go everybody's talking about the tush push Jason Kelsey's tired of it he says hey listen rule it out in the offseason whatever you got to do if that's what you're going to do Carl Banks the legendary New York Giant said I would stop this by jumping over the line of scrimmage getting an offside penalty every time hitting the quarterback before the snap eventually they will take the quarterback away from the line of scrimmage because he's getting hit with offside penalties by jumping over the line. Now, whether he would really do that or not, I don't know. And then eventually you'd have ejections probably. But everybody's talking about getting rid of this. Should they get rid of this or should they keep it in football, Stan? They should get rid of it. Uh, but they should not do it just because of the tush-push. They should not allow blockers to push runners forward anywhere on the field. It's a joke. It used to be outlawed. It was illegal. If you went and pushed a guy or grabbed him and pulled him, penalty. The runner's got to make his yardage on his own. And so the tush-push is just the overstatement of what happens too much on the field. A guy gets hit after a two-yard gain, and then the linemen come push him, and they'll pick him up in the air and not even touch the ground, and he'll gain eight more yards. It's a joke. You're down. Your forward forward progress is stopped. I think you got to stop this play, Kevin. You can't push from behind. Should you be allowed to block and go forward and run a quarterback sneak? Yes. Yes. You can come off the ball and run a quarterback sneak. That's legal. But no one should touch or help the runner gain more yardage. Great stuff, Stan. You have an awesome call with Wyatt Thompson on the K-State Network Thursday night. It's the Pop-Tarts Bowl, Kansas State, NC State. Have a great one, buddy, and appreciate you uh, being with us. I know you're very busy at the bowl game. Have a great time, a good call, and thank you so much for your time as always, buddy. 
Thanks, Kevin. Thanks so much. And, yeah, if you get a chance to turn on the radio and listen to the game or watch it, this really is going to be a heck of a ball game. 18th ranked North Carolina State against a good K-State team. So underrated bowl game, but big-time teams. Should be fun. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Kevin. He's awesome. He is Stan Weber. That is the Football Feast, and it is presented by our friends at MyPillow.com with the after-Christmas sale going on at MyPillow.com. Use the promo code KKHI every time you shop at MyPillow.com or call 800-923-9034. The Finch Knife Company. I got a lot of emails from many of you that got these for the holidays. Maybe you were expecting to get one from someone, and if you didn't, it's time to get it for yourself. Online at FinchKnifeCo.com or visit our friends at Shields in Overland Park. And bstock.net, electronics superstore in Olathe at 14680 South Flaming Road. They've got KKHI customers come in all the time and say they didn't realize we had a retail showroom. Hey, it's not a giant showroom, but it's got all the cool stuff there. They've got all kinds of great stuff right out of the warehouse. Or they will log you onto a computer right there in the showroom and say, here's what we have in our inventory back in the warehouse. What do you think about this? They'll pull it for you, bring it right out, and show it to you. They really have outstanding customer service at bstock.net, no matter what you're looking for, whether it's a giant screen television, an 85-inch in a great deal, or just some Apple accessories for your MacBook Pro or something like that. It's all at 14680 South Flaming Road, bstock.net. Our final final today is a man who placed a wager for $5 at DraftKings Sportsbook and he bet $5 on 14 different NFL players to score a touchdown over the weekend. By the time Monday rolled around, okay, and a parlay means you got to hit them all. By the time Monday rolled around Christmas Day, this man had 11 players that had all scored touchdowns. He had three left on Monday, on Christmas Day. He had Isaiah Pacheco of the Chiefs, DeAndre Swift of the Eagles, and Christian McCaffrey of the 49ers. You could see what he was doing. Three games in a row, he's going to watch for one player to score. Boom, Pacheco scores. That's 12 for 12. DeAndre Swift scores for the Eagles. He's 13 for 13. So if Christian McCaffrey was going to score a touchdown in the 49ers game, this man was going to win big on a $5 bet. In the second quarter, McCaffrey scored that touchdown for $5. This man won $489,383. $489,383 on a $5 bet at DraftKings Sportsbook. That is awesome stuff. We love it when the man gets beat here at Kevin Keatsman Has Issues. Kevin Keatsman Has Issues has been presented by Roberts Robinson Chevrolet GMC and is produced by Crooked Tail Media. Please hit the like or follow button wherever you listen or give us a review. For premium content podcasts and weekly newsletter, join as a patron at kkhasissues.com for as little as $5 a month. Support all our sponsors and other conservative businesses at the kklist.com. This has been a production of Cricket Tail Media Incorporated.